Well, the Big 12 got a huge boost this week. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, and being a part of the show. I know we've got a lot of uh, new listeners joining us here on the podcast, so if you could take a minute out and leave a rating, uh, review, subscribe, it helps us tremendously, and I don't know how many other podcasts do this, but we send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you leave us a rating and review, and the only thing I need from you is a screenshot of that rating and review, so I've got proof that you left one. And then you send me that email, I ask for your address, and I send you a free koozie. Don't worry, I'm not like spamming your address or anything like that. All I do is send you a koozie and you keep your beer cold. Tell me how that's not a win, all right? So... Chuba Hubbard is coming back, baby. He is coming back to the Oklahoma State Cowboys for the 2020 season, and he should be a Heisman favorite going into next year. Now, he led the nation in rushing yards uh, per game in total. We know that. He had an incredible season. I got to be honest. I think he's making a mistake. I think Chuba Hubbard's making a huge mistake coming back to Oklahoma State. I'm glad he's coming back, by the way. Selfishly, as a Big 12 fan, next year got a lot more interesting with the nation's leading rusher skipping the NFL draft to come back in 2020. But let's just go through the upside versus the downside. And, and don't worry, Pokes fans. like He's not going to change his mind after listening to this show. I, I promise you he won't do that. But take me through what the upside is here versus the downside. The upside of coming back is what? He leads the nation in rushing again. Maybe Oklahoma State wins a Big 12 title. I mean, you know, could you predict maybe a spot in the college football playoff? I, you know, I guess that's a best case scenario. But then your worst case scenario, God forbid, is the guy ends up blowing out a knee. And then the guy's just never the same. And that's the problem for somebody like Chuba Hubbard, who, you know, he is speed, right? I mean, his game is predominantly predicated on speed. Now, I hope what happened here is that he got some NFL opinions, and they're like, listen, dude, you're uh, a late-round pick at best. You know, you might not be bulky enough. You're coming from Canada. You don't know the game well enough yet. Unique system. I mean, I don't think that really matters for running backs. You know, running backs, it's like, hey, here's the ball. See that hole. Go run through it. It's pretty simple. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not an NFL draft guru, right? Like, I'm not Todd McShay. I'm not Mel Kuyper. I follow the Big 12. I know the Big 12 like the back of my hand. But what the NFL thinks of some of these guys is still at times foreign to me. So my hope here, and we have no information on this, but my hope is that Chuba Hubbard got a late round prediction and he was like, you know what? Instead of being selected in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, I will just go back to Stillwater where I love it, where I think, hey, with Tylen Wallace coming back, with Spencer Sanders getting another year under his belt, we can compete and win a Big 12 championship. So, I mean, that's that's awesome. I hope that's what happened. But if Chuba Hubbard is one of those guys who got a second, third round pick, I know, you know, uh, running backs don't get first round picks anymore in terms of what they're predicted to do. They are just viewed as a dime a dozen, and running backs are rarely, rarely ever a first round pick. So let's say Hubbard got second or third round, then he's making a mistake. Because then you're going to get a ton of carries next year and your body's only got so many carries in it and, you know, you could also end up getting hurt. And it's going to be tough to top 
this past season, right? I mean, you're going to be the leading rusher in the nation again? I mean, I hope so, but it's not incredibly likely. Just because of the nature of college football, somebody else comes along. So it's not incredibly likely. I hope he ends up in New York City as a Heisman finalist. That would be exciting. I mean, maybe the first guy since Barry Sanders to do it. But, man, I just I, I just see more downside versus upside. But I'm selfishly happy as a fan because here's what this means. It means that you now have, if you go quarterback, wide receiver, running back, Spencer Sanders, Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard, at those positions, and I know football is far more than those sexy positions. I get it. You know, you got to have an offensive line. You got to have a defensive line. You got to be able to do all that. But – in terms of those three positions, you can make a good case right now that Oklahoma State has the best running back in the conference, the best wide receiver in the conference. Depends how you feel about Tylen Wallace's knees. And then for Spencer Sanders, maybe, you know, number four quarterback in the Big 12, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, you want to put him behind uh, Sam Ellinger, Brock Purdy, Charlie Brewer. Maybe you put him at four, whoever OU has at four. And then maybe Sanders at five. I mean, we can debate it all we want, but let's say four for the sake of the argument. You've got the number four quarterback in the conference. You've got the number one running back and the number one wide receiver. It's a heck of a trio. That's a heck of a trio. And how many other teams in not just the Big 12, but in the country can make that case? That's a great job by Mike Gundy to get these guys to come back after hopefully they weighed their options. And if they were on the fence then Gundy's job is to say, here's the benefits of you coming back. That's Gundy's job. I don't like coaches who you know, just tell guys like Chiba Hubbard to come back because it benefits them and not the player. You always want a coach to be like, what's the best thing for the player? If the best thing for the player is to go to the NFL, then he should go to the NFL. Uh, but if Hubbard got his analysis, came back, coach, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do, don't know what way to play it, well, then Gundy can go into recruiting mode. And then he can say, listen, Chuba, this is why you should come back. These are the benefits of you coming back. Now, is this going to be the 2011 season for Oklahoma State? And I was working, living in Oklahoma in 2011 when, of course, they lost against Iowa State on that fateful Friday night. Boy, I would have loved to have seen that team play for a national championship. The Justin Blackman, Brandon Whedon team. I don't know if Oklahoma State's ever going to have that shot again, but man, that was the year. That was the year. Now, the 2011 team, people are making the comparison because, you know, you look back to then, you had Blackman and Whedon. Now, in 2017, you had Rudolph and James Washington. Now, Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard, Spencer Sanders. The 2011 team had a really good defense that was coming back and nearly won the whole deal. The 2017 version, probably disappointed if you want to look at it. Now, the 2020 team should have a really good defense, by the way. Let's not overlook that. I mean, this is not going to be a team that is just about the offense. This team is bringing back a lot of key pieces on defense, which is why when you look at it right now, if you're handicapping the Big 12, you've got to give OU the edge. You just have to. I know we don't know what they're doing at quarterback. Is it Spencer Rattler? Is it uh, going to be a transfer? Who the heck knows? But you've won five straight. You recruit like Lincoln Riley's recruiting. You're the favorite. No one's going to argue that. But right now, my money... Oklahoma State should be the team that has the second best odds to win the Big 12 Conference in 2020. No doubt about it. 
because of what Hubbard is doing, because of what Wallace is doing, Sanders with a year under his belt, and that defense. Now, you can make the case for a couple of other teams right now. You can make the case for Iowa State. You can make the case for Texas. But Iowa State, you know, I love Iowa State. I thought they'd play for the Big 12 title last year. But they underachieved last year. All right? At some point, the benefit of the doubt goes away. So I can't put them ahead of Oklahoma State. And on top of that, they're losing some key pieces on the defensive side of the ball. And then Texas is Texas. Like, I want to buy in. Right? I want to buy in. But, man, outside of 2018, tell me why I should. And in many ways, 2018, they exceeded expectations. The one year where we're like, hey, Texas might be a year away, they actually exceed expectations. The one time in the past 10 years we're not maybe overrating Texas, they actually overvalue and and exceed expectations. It's funny how that works sometimes. But that's where we are right now uh, with this Big 12 hierarchy, and Hubbard changes that. There's no doubt about it. That Chuba Hubbard coming back changes the landscape of the Big 12 Conference and makes Oklahoma State a Big 12 contender and a a dark horse, a dark horse college football playoff contender. No doubt in my mind. The uh, numbers came out, by the way, and the odds to win the college football playoff, Clemson at the top, Alabama number two, Ohio State three, LSU four, Georgia 6, Florida 7, Auburn 8, Oklahoma sitting at number 9, 20 to 1. And then uh, tied at 10, Texas, Notre Dame, 25 to 1. I mean, Texas cannot be 25 to 1 to win the national title. That's, that's, that's way, way too good of odds. Iowa State's at 100 to 1, and then Oklahoma State getting odds at 150 to 1. Of all those teams, the best uh, deal on the board for the Big 12 is Oklahoma State. Not that they're the most likely team to win the college football playoff, but in terms of value for your money, I'll take Oklahoma State at 150 to 1 over Texas at 25 to 1. You're telling me Texas has what? 6 times good of odds of winning the college football playoff as Oklahoma State? 6 times as good? No way. No way. So the value there is in Oklahoma State. Not saying they're going to win it. I'm not predicting that at all. I'm just saying there's value in Oklahoma State where there's not value uh, in Texas right now for those odds. I know you probably where you'd expect them to be at about 20 to 1, but Clemson, the heavy favorite, followed by Alabama, Ohio State, and then LSU, the defending national champs. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Great to have you on board. We take this show all throughout the year, 365 days a year. We don't take a rest. We don't do it. And we've got plenty of basketball to talk about with Matthew Postens, our Big 12 Hoops Insider, coming up next on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, it's that time of the week when we get to talk some Big 12 basketball with our own Matthew Postens right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your Big 12 independent digital media outlet. I'm Pete Mundo. Thanks for joining us. Well, Matthew, conference play is in a full swing. You're doing great work on the website, writing and periscoping for us after games as well. Follow us and follow him on Twitter at Postens Postcard for those nightly post-game periscopes. Matthew, let's start off with this conference at the top. Baylor goes on the road to Allen Fieldhouse. Big win over Kansas. First time for Scott Drew in that arena. Is this now Baylor's conference to lose? I think they're certainly in the driver's seat. It's pretty early to say it's theirs to lose, but that win puts them in the driver's seat. That combined with the win over Texas Tech 
uh, really gives them a leg up over everybody else in the conference. The reason I hesitate to say they're the team to beat because they still have to play Kansas again. They still have to play Texas Tech again. And they don't play West Virginia until February. So they've mm-hmm. got two games against the Mountaineers coming up. So I think what that win over Kansas did for them is it put them in the driver's seat. It gave everybody else a reason in the conference to target them as, quote-unquote, the team to beat. And that was, you know, the, the idea that we don't know exactly what Devin Dotson's status is at Kansas. Uh, with the hit pointer and how long he might be out. Bill Self was unclear about how long he might be out after he missed the game earlier this week. Um, that really kind of gives a little bit more of an opening to Baylor in terms of, you know, if you're trying to find a gap between them and, say, Kansas and West Virginia and Texas Tech, that helps widen that gap just a little bit. And, you know, on that note then, Matthew, I mean, you never want to be the team that's peaking in January, right? You want to be peaking, you know, February into March. It's so much a part of what this sport is all about when you have a one-and-done tournament at the end of the season. So how much concerns do you have, if any, that that may be happening to the Bears? Uh, it's possible. I mean, we when you look at Texas Tech last year, they started off with three or four wins in a row, and then they had a little malaise there in late January where they lost three games in a row. And then from there, they won 12 of their final 13 regular season games. So they had a lot of momentum going into the Big 12 tournament. And then they lost their first game mm-hmm. in the Big 12 tournament. But they ended up going to the national championship game anyway. So, That's true. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's some validity to that argument about peaking at the right time, peaking at the wrong time. I feel like what I like about what Baylor's doing is that they're doing things that I think are sustainable going into February and March things like, you know, rebounding, things like defense, things like effort. You know, those are things that don't typically, you know, rise and fall throughout a season if you're a really good team. Shooting will rise and fall. Um, you know, what your opponent will do offensively will rise and fall. But those things that remain consistent with great teams like rebounding and defense and things like that, as long as those things remain consistent, I think Baylor is in a really good spot, you know, going into February, going into March. But like everybody else in that that top tier of the conference, you know, they've got a hard schedule ahead of them. Matthew Post and our Big 12 Basketball Insider joining us. Okay, Matthew, it feels like a tale of two conferences. you got the top four stacked, and then it's everybody else. So how do you look at this conference right now without much of a middle? Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think those are your top four teams in the conference, and, and each of them has a very clear identity in terms of what they're trying to do on the floor. Uh, each of them has great personnel. Each of them has players who have kind of been there and done that and know how to hit clutch shots when it matters. Uh, And it's not to say that the other six teams in the conference are not good. Uh, They're all good in their own way. But there's clear differentiation between what those four teams are doing right now and what they could do in March than, say, Oklahoma, TCU, Iowa State, those types of teams. And when you think about that gap, and if that gap continues to widen as we get closer to tournament time, then their overall records are going to matter a lot. You know, say for Oklahoma and TCU and Iowa State, those overall records are going to matter. And also they're going to take a look at what they did in the Big East game and the SEC game. The conference looks at those two games as sort of their two de facto additional conference games because all the other Power Five conferences play 20 games. So if you think about Iowa State, aside from Baylor, they're the only other team in the conference that won a Big East uh, Big 12 crossover game. So that could help them a little bit when it comes time for the tournament if they're sitting there on 18, 19 wins and they're right there in the bubble. Conversely, the SEC games that are coming up in a couple of weeks, that can help a, T- a TCU. It could help an Oklahoma. It could help an Iowa State. Uh, it could help any of those other teams in terms of trying to differentiate themselves 
from what could be a very crowded field because as we've learned throughout this season, there's no clear number one in the country. There's no clear number two. It's a it's gonna be a very it has the possibility of being a very balanced field, which means when you get down to the first four in or the last four in and first four out, it's gonna be some they're going to be some very difficult decisions for the committee. So those teams like TCU and Oklahoma have to take advantage of every opportunity they can to differentiate themselves from teams in other conferences they are going to be competing for those bids. Being joined by Matthew Postens here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, uh, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. I'm Pete Mundo. All right, Matthew, biggest disappointment. I know it's early, so I hate to necessarily do this to a team, but there's three ways I think you can go, and maybe there's somewhere else you'll go. I think you can go Kansas State, Oklahoma State, or Texas. I- I'm going to go Kansas State, Matthew, because you know Bruce Weber, he had these guys come through the last couple of years, the senior-laden guys, the Dean Waves, the Barry Browns. None of them left early, right? They all stayed, and he got to an Elite Eight, and then it was like, wait, where's that next wave? It's almost like he wasn't prepared for it, and you're seeing that play out on the court throughout this season. Uh, where are you going? What direction are you going with the disappointment thus far early in the season? Well, I, I think for me it's Oklahoma State. With, with Kansas State, I kind of saw this coming because you made a really good point about you know where are those guys after Wade and Brown, and you're seeing it right now. Uh, you know, Cardia Giara and Xavier Sneed are very good players, but they were compliments to what they have done over the past couple of years. The guys who are contributing with them now are freshmen, they're junior college transfers. They're not the guys that Bruce Weber and his staff have been developing for the last two years. So either those players didn't take to the, to the development, Coach Weber's staff didn't do a good job of de- developing them, or those players like McCall Maween, Mike McGurl, and that group that has been there for a while, they've just reached their ceiling and this is as good as they're going to get. So I wasn't expecting as much from that group as I was from Oklahoma State. Uh, this is a group that had three talented seniors coming back, guys that can score. They had a good group of freshmen coming in. They brought in a nice transfer and Jonathan Laurent, and they just have not performed at all. I, mean, I watch in watching Kansas State, even though they're probably the least talented team in the conference, the effort is there. The shooting is there. With Oklahoma State, the effort is there, but the shooting has not been there. In the first three conference games, they shot 30% or less. They, I've, I've not seen a team in the Big 12 shoot like that that consistently bad over the course of three games. So for me, you know, it's Oklahoma State. I really expected them to be uh, at least have a win at this point in the, in the conference season. Yeah. Well, so, Matthew, uh, West Virginia, we haven't touched on them yet. I mean, what's the ceiling for this team? They're playing ridiculous defense. They blast TCU, who got off to a surprising 3-0 and start in conference play on Tuesday night. I, you know, it just feels like, even with guys like Kanate leaving it, it, it feels like one of those things where it was addition by subtraction. It just feels like a Bob Huggins classic team that's got the right mojo and the right mindset as well. They've all bought in. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think we're about a year out from the game that I covered here in uh, Fort Worth between West Virginia and TCU, where TCU just absolutely destroyed West Virginia. And Bob Huggins looked about as broken as I've ever seen a head coach during a post-game press conference. And he basically said, I have a group of guys that have not bought into what we want to do, and we're going to spend the next couple of months figuring out. And by the end of last season, he figured out the guys that were on his roster that were all in. And now he's brought in a whole group of new guys into Shibway and McBride that are all in on what they want to do. And their ceiling to me is as high as their offense can take them. Defensively, I don't see a single problem with this team. Yeah. I mean, when you consider they've got Toshibwe and Culver inside, 
They've got great perimeter defense on the outside, and those guys are only going to get better. It's really about whether or not they can be a consistently good offensive team night after night. The first three conference games from an offensive standpoint were not that great. They shot better than 50% against TCU. Uh, they got better from the three. They're getting some great contributions from Miles McBride off the bench. The one kind of hang-up that I have right now is just Emmett Matthews Jr. has had a really bad stretch these last six games. He didn't score a point, even though he was starting for West Virginia uh, earlier this week against TCU. So, to me, I'm almost thinking maybe it's time for Huggins to flip McBride into the starting lineup, maybe let Emmett Matthews come off the bench. And he did well coming off the bench last year uh, before he was inserted into the starting lineup about midway through the conference play. But to me, it's all about the offense. If they can be a consistently good offensive team, they have all the tools they need on defense and all the tools they have rebounding the basketball to be a team that could you know, potentially win this conference and maybe make a pretty deep NCAA run. He's Matthew Postens, knows the Big 12 hoop scene as well as anybody. Matthew, great to have you on. Look forward to the writings and the periscopes here coming up in the next few days. He's on Twitter at Postens Postcard. Matthew, enjoy the game Saturday. We'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Coming up, let's talk about what's happening in Baylor on the football side, coaching search, and the basketball side. Ashley Hodge, owner of Sikkim 365, is coming up next. Well, final few minutes on the show. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. So the Baylor Bears are looking for a new head coach. And a name that keeps popping up is Justin Fuente of Virginia Tech. That report came down from Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports uh, earlier this week. And I was surprised. I was very surprised. I mean, Justin Fuente is not a guy that's lit the world on fire uh, at Virginia Tech. You know, he comes over from Memphis. He's got a great run there. Not going to take anything away from him on that front. But since he's been at Virginia Tech in a weak ACC, and by the way, he's in the Coastal Division, not the Atlantic Division, which has Clemson. He's in the Coastal. And he's won the Coastal once. It was his first year, so technically not really his players and since then, you know, nine and four. Since his first year, he went ten and four, six and two in the conference. Then nine and four, six and seven, eight and five. Is that a guy that Baylor's going to blow up this system for and not keep a good thing going with Joey McGuire for? For that guy who's been mediocre in the ACC, in the lesser of the two divisions in the ACC, I'm not seeing it. I just don't get it. Now, I trust Mac Rose. Like, he hired Matt Rule, so he's got the benefit of the doubt. No questions asked. He's got the benefit of the doubt. But it doesn't mean you can't be skeptical, you know? And there's plenty of reason to be skeptical right now based on where this coaching search may go. I don't know why you just don't give it to Joey McGuire. Like, I, I can't figure it out. Look at what Kansas State just did with Chris Kleiman. And now I know he was a head coach, and McGuire technically has not been at this level. He was a head coach, high school, Cedar Hill, and he's been on rules staff for the past three years. But he's been an associate head coach. If he keeps the coordinators he's got, you know, make sure you keep Phil Snow on that defensive side of the ball and recruit through your Texas high school ties. Why not go down that road? I don't get it. I know you can't let players pick your coach. I get it, especially in college where, you know, the players are here, then they're gone. But, man, I just – I'm sitting here and I'm saying to myself, Justin Fuente? Really? 
Justin Fuente, who has been mediocre in the ACC. I can't go there. I can't blow this thing up in favor of Justin Fuente because Fuente is going to bring in his guys. You know, who knows what happens with this staff? That's just not a road I want to go down if uh, I'm a Baylor fan. But once again, you give Mac Rhodes the benefit of the doubt and you see how this thing shapes up moving forward. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. I've been thinking about this, you know, throughout the offseason and what I'm excited for next year. And I think about the teams that didn't make a bowl game in this conference. And they were KU, TCU, Texas Tech, and West Virginia. And I'm sitting here and, you know, I'm thinking about Big 12 football like I do way too much between January and June, but I do it a lot. And I'm thinking, okay, what team am I most excited by? Not who do I think is going to win the most games of those four. Who am I most excited by? Who am I most intrigued by? And I keep coming back to West Virginia. I keep coming back to Neil Brown and Jarrett Dagey. And, you know, the quarterback move from Austin Kendall to Daigie at the end of the season and thinking to myself, geez, if Daigie can can be that guy that obviously Neil Brown believes he can be and that he was when he came in as the transfer and maybe even a semblance of what his brother Seth was back when he was playing Big 12 football at uh, Texas Tech, this changes things for the Mountaineers. This changes things in a big way for this West Virginia football team. It's not that I don't think Kansas will be interesting. I mean – I'm looking at KU and saying, okay, you know, if they can get the four, maybe five wins, that's fun. That's good. A lot of people are going to be happy with that. No questions asked. And then I look at TCU. I mean, the defense will be there. I don't know what they're doing at quarterback. Can't figure it out. I, I, It's kind of a weird place for Gary Patterson to be based on the fact that he's had two subpar seasons and then Baylor has come from one win in 2017 to – playing in the Big 12 title game and being an overtime away from a college football playoff. And that's going to burn Gary Patterson. Now, Matt Rule is gone. That's good for him, but still. And then Texas Tech, boy, you know, I don't know what Matt Wells' leash is going to be. It should be long. I mean, guys should get three, four years easy, but they don't anymore. You know, look at Mississippi State. They blew out Joe Moorhead after two years. And by the way, he didn't do half bad. Joe Moorhead did not have a bad run at Mississippi State. Only there two years, but he goes eight and five in 2018. He goes six and seven this year. By the way, he beats his rival Ole Miss this year, and he goes 500 basically before losing the Music City Bowl, and then he gets blown out. Uh, you know the leashes are so short now; they're shorter than the SEC because the problem in the SEC is every program thinks it should be Alabama. Now some are worse than others, right? Like <laughs> we know who's worse than others. Texas A&M is still bragging about all the games they lost this year. I'm serious. The Aggies are going to hang up a national championship flag because they lost to so many top 10 teams. That's definitely what they're going to do. I can see it right now. Home of the 12th man and the 2019 uh, national championship runner-ups because, well, we lost to so many good teams. I can see it hanging right now there at uh, Kyle Field in East Texas. (laughs) But in the Big 12, I hope it wouldn't be like that. Wells deserves time. He needs time, by the way. But you wonder, what if you had kept Cliff Kingsbury? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Kingsbury has got a pretty good thing going right now in the NFL. I mean, people are talking about the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, and that's in a stacked NFC West. An NFC West that just had two solid playoff teams in the 49ers and the Seahawks, 
a Rams team that reached the Super Bowl a year ago. And the Cardinals, you know, in the toughest division right now in football, the Cardinals are a conversation starter. There's no doubt about that. The Cardinals have some spice. They've got some spunk to them. And that is something that Cliff Kingsbury should be very, very proud of as uh, this offseason rolls along. And you wonder what Texas Tech is sitting there and thinking right now. You know, I mean, does it feel like there's a lot of pizzazz around the Texas Tech Red Raiders football program? I hope there will be. I mean, I hope Alan Bowman comes back healthy and life is good there in Lubbock. But do you feel like there's a lot of juice out in West Texas right now? I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. And I hope to be wrong. But I got to see it to believe it. And it just doesn't feel like it's there for the Texas Tech Red Raiders, where it feels like there is some for West Virginia. And then KU and TCU, I'd say, are kind of in the middle as they're standing in place, and we'll see what's next from those two programs. So we'll be doing more of this as the offseason rolls along and diving into these teams a little bit more. But just some thoughts as we get the new year going and everything starts to pick up towards the second signing day and then spring practice and everything else. So always fun to follow. I'm Pete Mundo. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the website. Your Big 12 independent digital media outlet Really appreciate you guys joining the show, and please do leave that rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Helps us out enormously, and in return, I'll send you a Heartland College Sports koozie. If you leave a rating and review and send me a screenshot of it to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Really appreciate you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, heartlandcollegesports.com.